Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all yes i apologize the voice is a little weary today imagine that after two solid days of interviewing I think I counted up 22 interviews over the two-day period. And once again, just want to let the folks know, Rhino, as you well know, it's a whole bunch of work behind the scenes to pull that deal off, man. Oh, yeah. And uh, proud of the team, so professional, and just without a hitch, honestly. Uh, Two days right there on Founders Square at the Neshoba County Fair. We heard from all the candidates, mostly all. We had one that declined our invitation to uh, come on the show. That would be Democrat candidate for governor, Brandon Presley. Still a bit disappointed that Mr. Presley would not come on because I thought it would be informative for our audience to hear from Mr. Presley. See what his vision is for the state of Mississippi. And honestly, I just want to say this as a as a voter, as a citizen, not just as the host of an opinion show. Tell us what the heck you're going to do to make life better in the state of Mississippi. I don't need to hear all the mudslinging about your opponent. I mean, I understand that's the way the game's played as part of it, but I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of weary of it. I I want to know more about you and your plan, your proposals, your philosophy. And honestly, some of these more challenging issues that are before us in the state, you need to have a little bit more specificity in your in your analysis, in your proposals. Not just stay at that so-called 50,000-foot level. And you feel like sometimes, Rhino, and I'm not just picking on candidates, any particular candidate for sure. I'm, I'm really talking just broadly about our political environment. You can just sense that 
I'm going to stay at the 50,000-foot level because I don't want to say anything more specific in nature that might agitate some particular voter or group of voters that might disagree. you got to take a stand. <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> I think that a principled person can be defined by consistency. You've got to be consistent, but you got to get into the weeds a little bit. Not so much that you start losing people and they start falling asleep when you discuss those matters at a detailed level. But you, you got to show that, yeah, I've thought about that, and here's what I want to do. It's easy to sit there and say, and I've been critical of at the federal level. Oh, we got to stop this reckless spending. What? Give me a budget. Give me some specifics. What programs? What present spending objects? How much? Not just talk at that high level. And you know what happens is, unfortunately, people go, yeah, he's my man. He wants to stop, or, or woman, wants to stop that reckless spending. No, you don't. You don't have a plan. That's a problem. And you know, I've dwelled on PERS. I told the audience that. And I didn't hit every single candidate up with it because it's not something you'd ask a, a candidate for ag commissioner or attorney general. But I think it's pretty clear. It's not a subject anybody wants to talk about. And look, the right answer may be, I agree, it's a problem. And I, I, we've got to address it, and we can't keep kicking the can down the road. Because that's what we've been doing. That's what we're doing with Social Security and Medicare. And while I certainly support elimination of the income tax, I've been clear about that. But I've also been clear that I really supported wholeheartedly the very first bill the House proposed, which was to eliminate the income tax while at the same time a modest increase in sales taxes would be implemented. And, man, all hell broke loose then. You remember. And that still would keep us below our neighboring states with respect to the total sales tax burden. Because what you see in reports sometimes is side-by-side comparison of state sales tax rates and unfortunately, it's just the state portion. you got to really dig deeper and look at, okay, what's the total all-in sales tax rate? Because here in Mississippi, we have very few, count them on one hand probably, municipalities, for example. I think it's more than that, but well, it's, 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 it's not, not every yeah. municipality. It's not many. Not like it is, say, in neighboring Alabama or Louisiana, for example, where it's virtually every one of them, plus the county or parish. And you got three layers. And, and that's look, the big difference. That's the big, that, right. And so you got to look at the total sales tax burden. And both of those states are in the 9% range. I know around here, unless you go to Jackson, it's the state sales tax rate of 7%. That's what's levied, right, in Madison County, Rankin County, as far as I know. You go to Jackson, it's, what, 8%? They got permission, because they do have to seek permission, off, uh, authorization from the legislature. 
and I'm I'm making that point because that's that's what I supported. I thought that made sense. I thought I've always believed it's more efficient to and, and more fair, honestly, to tax consumption. You and I've talked about that. That's consistent with conservative philosophy than it is to tax production, income. I was on board with that. We could have gotten rid of the, the income tax in short order by doing so. But that got so much pushback that uh, the House went back to the drawing board and made some adjustments, and, and what we got was a plan that would not increase any sales taxes, in fact, decrease the grocery tax somewhat, but would also phase out the income tax over 12 to 16 years, provided certain revenue targets and triggers were attained. And... I'm not sure those would ever be achieved. But it, you could at least put a bow on that and say, look, we got a bill here that eliminates, at least purports to eliminate the income tax. And where I'm going with this, folks, and we, this is, I know I'm repeating things we've said before, it's PERS. Think about PERS. We have an obligation. We're contractually obligated with those who've paid in, certainly ethically obligated. And you rip out a big hole of the revenue picture while at the same time you got a fund you're responsible for as a government that's on shaky financial ground and it needs money. So... You, you see the conflict you can have. We as Republicans believe in reducing the size of government, reducing government spending. Yet, in less than a year, just go ahead and add, tack on 5% of full payroll cost as an increase in government spending. That's what it's going to be. And that doesn't go to co- nearly far enough to stabilize the PERS fund. It helps a little bit, but that's that's happening. So if you, essentially, that's, by the way, that is um, something that was implemented by the PERS board. They have the authority to increase the employer contribution rate. Only the legislature can in- increase or adjust the employee contribution rate. That goes into effect next year. So that, in effect, is an increase in government spending. And if we don't either increase government spending with respect to shoring up PERS or decrease the benefits going out, not not necessarily existing present-day benefits, but phase-in future retirees, we got a big old problem on our hand. And it ain't going away, just like Social Security and Medicare. It is going downhill like a freight train. Nobody wants to touch it. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studios. Caleb Sailors, he was over there at Neshoba with us for the two-day event. He's a multimedia journalist with Super Talk News. Is on at 1120. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. 
Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays, and today we're in a little cooler environment, shall we say. You know, it wasn't that bad, honestly. I mean, it was hot. The temperature was hot. But over there under the hardwoods created a fair amount of shade. And then, of course, we have the dual tents. And let me tell you, Gary and Houston... And Alex were good enough to move the tents around so as to ensure that shade was being cast on me. Except on Thursday, uh, they they got a they got a little asleep on the job there. And during one of those interviews, I was like leaning way forward because that sun was just beaming down, you know, right on the back. That's of my why head I head. can't help but laugh when you get these climate people. They're like, "You cannot survive even in the shade if you're not doing anything. If it's 95 degrees, and it's like in Mississippi in the summertime, as long as you're in the shade with a breeze, whether it be from God or man-made, it's definitely survivable. Yeah, it's a survival." It may be a bit uncomfortable if you're there for an extended period of time. And you know what? Yesterday afternoon, a little breeze did kind of freshen up. Typically, it's just still. But a little breeze did freshen up. In fact, I don't know if you guys caught it if you're watching on video. A few times, leaves fell like right in my face when I was on. One fell right on my keyboard, as a matter of fact. But, um, yeah, it's survivable. You're exactly right. But they say it's not. Of course, they're having a field day, right? This is supposedly the hottest month on record or something to that effect. And that's, If you only look at half the country. Yeah, because uh, some parts are not experiencing this, this heat, right? In fact, I saw the forecast for uh, the New York City area. It's like 75 is a high a week from today. It's just hard to draw any conclusions about that, but it, it doesn't matter. But it's the hottest year in 120,000 years, <laughs> even though we only have reliable records for back to about 150, maybe 200 at most. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't know if I can buy into all that, honestly. It's almost like they're trying to get you afraid of it. <laughs> and everything else, because, you know, from fear... Is power derived, and they uh, they let's say we they capitalize on that, they leverage that. That's why if you look at any of the weather maps from five, ten years ago, the same exact temperatures or hotter weren't delineated with bright orange and red. Danger, <laughs> danger. <laughs> uh, I wanted to follow up on something from the show yesterday unfortunately we, we didn't get to it i'm looking for it here rhino and it was from from paul i believe it was paul and meridian yeah paul's appliance repair i missed the rest of dr witcher's interview had a call and his question was for the doctor as a doctor, what's his stance on medical marijuana? No, I'm not a single-issue voter, but I do vote Republican, and most of their policies are similar, so this is my question. And so I didn't ask him that 
question yesterday, Paul. What I did ask when he was on the program a week or so ago in the studio here uh, was his position on recreational marijuana. You remember that, Rhino? And he said he was opposed to it. So I wanted to pass that on to Paul. I think that's uh, something he's curious about with respect to the candidates. And I saw your your text there, Paul, and and didn't get a chance to respond. I also was unable to respond uh, even after the show because, let me tell you guys, the Super Talk team was kicking me out. They had to get the tents oh, yeah. down to the Sports Talk remote at KLM or at the Brave Stadium, the KLM. LM unveiling of the new tractor trailers, wrapped tractor trailers for Ole Miss State, USM, and JSU. So didn't get a chance to get on that. But wanted to follow up, Paul, just to let you know that I did see your question. Hope you're listening and you got that. Uh, let's see here. So Thomas and Greenwood says, well, we just ought to cut 10% of the state public sector workforce, and that would help cut the future liability of PERS, well, unfortunately, that move would also put further pressure on the fund because defined benefit plans rely on the contributions of current active members to cover benefits going out. What one contributes and the investment returns on their contributions and their employer contributions that match are not sufficient to cover benefits when those benefits endure until one dies. That's just uh, the math. That doesn't work out right. That's what actuaries do, by the way, actuarial science. They use math and statistics to uh, essentially project risk. And a defined benefit plan, as are all insurance plans, they have armies of actuaries who work for them. That's what they do, project risk. And uh, those are used as inputs into companies, in this case, the public pension retirement system, public employees retirement system. Actuaries help guide them in determining benefit structures as well as contribution, the contribution framework. That's what, that's what they do. And what they're saying now, third-party experts on those matters, that, hey, you got a problem here with PERS. you got to do something. So, you know, we've produced significant. This probably won't be a popular proposal, but you've seen a lot of times, Rhino, our, our members of our audience say, hey, look, we had a billion-dollar surplus last year, I think the year before, significant. Seven hundred million this year. Most of that, honestly, driven by the, the showering of uh, money from the federal government into the states, into the economy, dropped out of helicopters all over the place. And it's not just direct payments to government, state government, municipal, county government, as was the case. Don't forget, lots of money went into the pockets of. American citizens, and what do many of them do? They spend it, and when they spend it, that generates both sales taxes, but it increases profit of the companies they spend with, 
and think about Mississippi, where most companies are small, mid-sized businesses, and they file essentially as individuals because that profit typically flows through to them the way they legally structure those organizations. And so they pay more income taxes. And so the cost for that, unfortunately, is what we've witnessed the last couple of years is outrageous inflation. By the way, price of gas, we talked about that before I uh, went to Neshoba. I don't think I saw a sign with a two-handle on the front. I noticed this morning, I don't see any. Not around here, no. Eight-month high as oil prices soar, and the experts are saying there ain't no end in sight. Not good. Yet, we got a federal government who I believe is secretly applauding this news. This is what they want. No gas stoves, no pizza ovens. What's the latest target? Water heaters. But don't worry, it won't it won't be coming down until twenty twenty nine. You got six years to get your affairs in order. <laughs> Which in order to meet those uh, restrictions, those standards, for a lot of people means you gotta forklift your old water heater out and put a new one in. Yeah, because if something breaks on your current one, they're not making any more parts because they got to reconfigure and retool to make the new ones for the government-enforced mandates. Man. So when you, when you hear and talk about socialism, you hear that word applied and invoked so frequently, that, my friends, is socialism. That is central planning. Starts in Washington. And then it permeates the nation, because these would be federal standards. And we know how in touch with reality Washington is. Oh, my gosh. So it's it's scary. Now, I'm looking at a sign at an Exxon station, a picture of a sign at an Exxon station in California, a unleaded plus a 489, super unleaded 599. So we talk about the the two-handle going to the three-handle here in Mississippi. It's a five headed to six in California. And don't forget, Gavin Newsom, I say higher than 50% probability, I'm saying today, will be the nominee for president as a Democrat. Did you see Mitch McConnell yesterday? How about Dianne Feinstein? This is sad. Honestly, folks, if they can have a limit on how old you get, if you have a lower limit on being a politician, I'm starting to come around to the idea of having an upper limit. Yeah. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday. Stay with us. You to see what your life can truly be. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. It is a Friday, y'all. 
Let's see. We got another remote today. The Sports Talk team, Sports Talk Mississippi. They're going to be in Hattiesburg today for the 2023 Dixie Youth Baseball D1 and D2 World Series. There are going to be a ton of teams coming from states as far away as Virginia and North Carolina to represent their state in the 2023 Dixie Youth Baseball World Series. Sports Talk Mississippi at the Larry Doliak Baseball Complex in Hattiesburg on Friday. So, I remember coaching in a World Series. This is when my son was playing, so he was 12. That's been a a minute. And we're up in South Haven at the fabulous Snowden Grove complex up there. And I want to say this may have been the Cal Ripken Organization World Series. And, of course, Cal being uh, a Baltimore Oriole, there are a lot of teams from the, that area, the Atlantic Coast, Maryland area. And guess what? They're all Orioles. <laughs> like 14 teams of the Orioles, you know. And <laughs> we're playing, and a guy hits a triple off of us. And no, 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 pardon me. We hit the triple. We hit the triple. He's playing third base. The other team. I'm in the third base coaching box where I, I would stand as the head coach. <laughs> and he uh, he proceeds to outburst some profanity as a 12-year-old. I mean, F-bomb profanity, okay? And so I asked him, do they teach you how to speak like that? <laughs> In Maryland, he said, yeah. <laughs> Never forget that. I don't think I've ever seen that. Not, and I'm not naive enough to think 12-year-olds don't don't uh, engage in speaking profanity from here and, uh, and now. But typically, it's not in front of adults on a baseball field. <laughs> I wasn't on a baseball field, but I do remember being chastised by the ref on a soccer, fi- soccer field. <laughs> Around that same age, because I played fullback. I was a defender in soccer. So I didn't get up the field a whole lot, and I had very few scoring opportunities. And I just completely missed a sitter, went right to the post, and let out the S word. And all the kids point at me, and the ref comes over and gets on to me. So, I mean, I can I can empathize with the kid. Oh, man. I never forget that. And of course that was one of the Orioles teams that we were playing. Missed those days. A lot of fun. Ben from Madison says, very sad. Feinstein, Biden, McConnell, all declining from a cognitive standpoint. Politics aside, I hope people close to them do the right thing and steer them to retirement. So folks, if you hadn't seen this, uh, Mitch McConnell, this was two days ago was at the podium just uh, making some remarks. And, and, and I, typically, these those kinds of deals where you've got a member of the Senate, in this case the minority leader, that is, is just commenting on some subject matter, you're going to be surrounded by the, usually the, se- the senior members in the chamber 
or if it's like a measure or bill something, you may also include in that the, the authors, uh, sponsors of the legislation. So he just just went totally just stopped. I mean, he just was standing there at the podium, no sort of physical reaction, just a blank stare, stopped talking, stopped speaking, and just went quiet. It was odd. And Senator Barrasso, who is a medical doctor, was off to Mitch's right, left on your screen, slightly out of the camera view, but right close to him. And he approached him and, and grabbed his arm and said, Mitch, are you okay? Do you have anything else to say? And he, and he didn't answer. And then he finally left and then came back and finished. And so I, I don't think I've seen any update on that at this point. Uh, the only update is the further reporting of his fall, which wasn't really reported on a whole lot. That happened, I want to say, back in June, where he was getting off a plane and face-planted. Yeah. And had to be helped by some of the other passengers on the plane. And, I mean, it could be related to that. Uh, for a, what, 82-year-old, I think, is that his age, I believe? I did look up that the, the median age is 65 in the U.S. Senate. Median, of course, means half or above that age, half or below. I think it's 59 or 60 in the House. And then Senator Feinstein, she appeared very confused during a vote. And that was uh, when they were voting on the defense appropriations bill and, and a, another Democrat senator kind of had to step in and, and help her out. I think it was one of her handlers. One of her handlers did as well, um, as a couple of them. And she was just confused on what where they were in the proceeding. They were at the point where there was a vote being called, and she just needed to say yes or no, aye or nay. And finally, I think her handler whispered to her, it just, hey, we're at the vote here, said something to that effect. So that was kind of sad, but you could tell she was confused sitting there. Now, she has announced she will not seek re-election. Is that next year? And she's 90, by the way. I believe she's up for election next year. Yeah, that's right. Plans to retire from Congress. I'm looking at it at the end of 2024. She's been there 30 years. And it's not just physical infirmity or mental infirmity or anything like that it's it's the disconnect that happens the older one gets and i'm not trying to offend any of our elderly listeners but there are ample videos of evidence it became almost like a series where people would go to nursing homes or they would stop people out in public and and specifically older people and show them pictures of current technology or current vehicles or current homes and ask them to guess the price guess how much it costs to buy one of these and 99 times out of 100 the elderly people were way off they were way undershooting the price like they showed one lady a house and she was like that's probably a $35,000 house you couldn't rent a room in that house for $35,000 I do think that uh, some of that's because you don't 
you're not engaged in, in right. home buying activities, and and you don't really make an effort to stay current. And it takes an effort. It really does. But these are the people, this is the age group that's running the country, and they're not plugged into that. They have no reason to be, and therefore it feels like the middle class and the youth of America are just getting left behind. Yeah, I think that there's some truth to that. I, I, You know, I also see, though, that there's value in institutional knowledge and, and wisdom and experience. I, I think you need a balance, honestly. Now, in the case of Feinstein, I think that's beyond, though. I mean, she's she's 90 in probably the last three to five years. I, I think she has been on the decline and really unfit, honestly. Um, and, and Mitch, I don't know that I've seen any other examples out of Mitch McConnell where he looked like he didn't really possess all of his mental faculties. Yesterday, though, probably a physical issue, honestly, rather than just a just a mental block. I, I've not ever known him to behave that way. And then, of course, we got the president. That's constant. That's every time he talks. There's something. And it's not even like this is a, a new concept that eventually people age out of their capability to govern. I mean, you go back to ancient Egypt, for crying out loud. Yeah. I think it was, was the Hebseb, where they, they literally once a year – put the pharaoh in a ritual outfit and made him run around the pyramid a couple times to prove he was still worthy of being the pharaoh. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying they should put Biden in a kilt and make him run around the Washington the White House lawn or something, but there's definitely with modern medicine and modern technology, you could pretty quickly tell whether or not somebody's still all there. Yeah, and I, you know, maybe it does make sense to have some sort of cognitive test. But honestly, I don't think we ought to discriminate. Maybe we need that across the board for everybody. You know, that's not necessarily a test of your, shouldn't be a test of of just your intellect as much as it is your cognitive ability. Because those are two different things. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that maybe that's fair game. I think, uh, was it Trump? has done that and challenged Biden to it. And Biden, remember that? Come on, man. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> Challenge you to a push-up contest. <laughs> That's right. We're coming back in the Element Well studio. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. A good day for the markets, at least underway at this time. Who knows where the heck they close, the way that kangaroo hops around. The Dow up 254 points. The NASDAQ 
absolutely on fire, and it has been all over the map this week. It's up 291. That uh, is being driven, I think, largely by a report that inflation, once again, at least core inflation, moderated a bit. However, commodities are creeping up this month, and core inflation, of course, excludes food and energy, something we all got to buy. Headline inflation do, does include all the the uh, variety of baskets of goods. So the market likes that at this point, and the Fed, of course, you know, raised rates half a point on Wednesday and, and basically offered some, some pretty strong language, did Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, that we might have to keep doing this. We're still trying to hit that 2% inflation target. He does not believe that is achievable until 2025, thus signaling that rates may remain elevated for another year and a half. If you hadn't checked it out, your credit card rates, if those of you that use them things, and a whole bunch of Americans do, because credit card debt it is at a record high. The, those rates have gone up. You know what else has gone up is the late fees. The late fees have gone up quite a bit. And they typically correspond with interest rates, the benchmark interest rates. Of course, mortgage rates are up, and that is impacting the housing market and the sales of any major purchases that are financed. So you got that going on. And then the, the, other, the other bit of news, it was a somewhat shocking, and I'll admit I'm one of those, that our GDP – up 2.22.4%. That's at an annualized rate. That's how GDP is measured. And that is through the month of uh, June. So that was very positive news. And the markets, I think, keyed on that and started dumping money into equities. That's driving them skyward. Whether or not that's sustainable, I don't know. I think most economists now are saying that I think we're going to avoid a recession. Some are saying if we get one, it's somewhat uh, well into 2024. Won't happen this year. Earlier in the year, you remember, most economists were saying we will experience a recession. That would be a negative GDP growth. Well, we just got... Growth, honestly, that shocked economists was about 0.8% higher than projected. The projection was 1.6%. We got 2.4%. So a lot of economic news out there. And you probably noticed in our interviews yesterday, certainly for statewide candidates, try to focus on that. I, I still hold the belief, strong belief, that the the key to addressing, the path to addressing our most challenging issues in the state of Mississippi, honestly, as well as the rest of the country, is to grow our economy. We need pro-growth policies. Get government out of the way. I do believe Governor Reeves fully understands that. I do believe that that is 
a high-priority focus for him, and I appreciate that. And, and I say that because I share his view. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Brandon Presley on the program. would like to speak to him about his plans, his proposals that would be pro-growth in nature. I don't know that I've seen any, honestly. The main focus I've seen is him trying to tie the governor to the uh, TANF dollar scandal and and then talking about his plans for health care, which starts with we gotta we gotta put a physician in there at the Department of Medicaid, which I completely disagree with. Um, and then of course expand Medicaid and and more price transparency. That'll do it. This is a supply and demand problem. And the core uh, just the core problem we have with health care in our state is poverty. That's the core problem. Poverty. It costs money. Health care costs money. Insurance costs money. Everybody who's got it knows it, loads it typically. Because it's a bunch of money you gotta pay, and most people are afraid of doing without. Those that do without still get services, often uncompensated. And that's a problem. It's time for a break. It's uh, it's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. We're coming right back. Caleb Sailors with our news department at eleven twenty. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. Looks like the Mega Millions jackpot is on up there. $910 million with an estimated cash value of 464 The drawing tonight. Has the individual who won the billion-dollar Powerball a couple of weeks ago come forward? I remember seeing initial reporting where they went to the store that sold the ticket and someone showed up acting like they were the winner, but I don't know if that was the actual person or not. I haven't followed up on it. Hmm. Billion dollars, that's a bunch. I could probably make it on that. I'd certainly give it a try. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. We got some text here on the ceasefire text line. That is 601-879-4395. CC in Sanatobia, we were talking about the age of some of our U.S. senators and, and, more importantly, the length of time they've been up there. Diane Feinstein had a little incident, shall we say, in casting a vote for the defense funding bill. She just seemed to be lost in the proceedings, required some help from another senator and a handler, an aide. Uh, She's 90, been there 30 years. Can these people not just simply give up that authority, says C.C. in Senatobia? Can't let the power go. 
I wonder the same, CC, but I would also tell you, I believe you would agree with this, Rhino, they get pushed a lot by outsiders who've got this relationship with them. They're a known quantity, and they want to see them keep going up there. They're always afraid of disruption. Yeah, it feels like it's not so much the power, it's the perks. I I agree. I totally agree with you. Because the the pay ain't squat, honestly, relatively speaking, for what most of these people could earn. But it is the perks. And I think that's a lure. But I also maintain that you got large factions of special interest, shall we say, lobbyists, who they get comfortable. They get a relationship built, and they feel like they can always approach that person. They're predictable. They know their history, know where they stand, and they're afraid of that disruption. I'll tell you something else that does aggravate me about the Republican Party from a – certainly in the U.S. Senate. You know, there's a Senate re-election fund. I can't remember the exact name of the – but you know what I'm talking about, a PAC – that invests in campaigns, and they make it very clear, does Mitch McConnell, who's the leader, we're not going to help anybody but incumbents. We only support incumbents. No money, no endorsement, no assistance. That's largely why you end up with the same people. And I would contrast that to the Democrat Party that's not quite, I guess, as committed to incumbents. They seem to be more open to newcomers. They just fix it in a different way with well, that's, their super delegates. That's true. <laughs> that is true. But you know right now, they're secretly, I think, behind the scenes, worried about who's headlining for them in Joe Biden. He's vulnerable, and they know it, but they're scratching their heads saying, oh, heck, look who's sort of next in line by default, that being Kamala Harris, and they're not too impressed with that, and mainly because they know she got no chance, honestly. Uh, You know, thinking through the logic of presidential elections are won in these handful of counties by so-called swing voters, independent voters, I don't think they break for Kamala Harris under any circumstances. I just don't. I mean, she was out in a hurry when she ran for president, dismal performance, and her and her poll numbers, way down. Uh, and she's, uh, and not only that, we think about her word salad videos that are in the public square. The, the candidates that would run against her probably don't have enough money to air all that because there's so many. You could and you could do a montage of Joe, of course. You could do a montage of her. The problem is they take too long. <laughs> Joe's are kind of kind of short little faux pas, but hers are more. What'd she just say? You know, it's like a paragraph that lasts a couple of minutes, and you just say, "What the heck did she just say?" And usually, it's absolutely nothing. It's nothing. But yet she says it with such conviction, such passion, unburdened by what has been. <laughs> so serious. It just it's laughable. So I hear you, CC, I agree. 
Carol in Starkville says, I think this is in reference, I believe, Rhino, to Brandon Presley declining. No, Biden. This is? Oh, they probably do not want him all there so he can be the scapegoat. I got you for things happening in America. And the reason I said that, and I made the connection wrongly to uh, Mr. Presley's because I've gotten a couple of texts this morning as I've been ta- on my phone talking about his um, decline of our invitation to come on the show yesterday. And I've had some folks say that, hey, when they see him, you can't help but associate him with uh, the Democrat Party on a national basis. And I think that is true. I also heard, I don't I don't have any proof of this, but I also heard that many in attendance at the fair sporting Brandon Presley T-shirts and carrying his signs were not Mississippians. Not sure if that's true or not, but I heard that. Well, did you get a close look at some of his signage? I did, and I'm uh, disturbed by that. You want to share what's on the back of the Later Tater sign? Yeah, the Later Tater campaign signs for the Brandon Presley campaign were apparently printed in Detroit, and the uh, logo for the print shop, or the printers, says, Abolish the wage system, abolish the state, all power to the workers. Ah. that I, I would expect to see the communist symbol, <laughs> right? Be right at home the, with a hammer and sickle. The sickle and hammer should be uh, emblazoned <laughs> right next to that, because that's what that really is what it sounds like. Some communist Marxist rhetoric. Yeah, crazy. Thanks for adjusting and balancing the broadcast volume. It's a lot easier on the ears today. So I can tell you when you're remote, I, I do have control over that, and it's it's hard because uh, there's so much ambient noise around you, and you, you can't get a sense of it. I kind of know where the pots ought to be. but uh, and, and, you know, the other thing, Rhino, I think the volume may be a little different depending on the station, right, That because uh, the tower, power, and all that sort of stuff. Credit scores pulling back for no apparent reason. That's on the ceasefire tax line. That's when we were talking about the uh, household debt increasing, especially credit card debt. I haven't seen anything or heard anything about that. Can you be more specific? Because if it's no apparent reason, then that would mean someone or, or someone who's checked their score or person who has a credit score that has declined but really hasn't uh, don't don't have any any reporting to to the bureau that would cause that decline. They have a grievance and they should dispute that. Talk to them about that. It's um, it'd be hard to believe that there's just nothing like no late charges, no increase in debt, no new debt, all the things that typically make your credit score decrease. Any, any sort of uh, collections that have been filed or, or um, let's see, what was the other thing I was looking for? Uh, when you have an issue with the government and you owe something, judgment. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, not necessarily the government. But if there's a collection or a judgment on your credit report, that can be a problem. Somebody's filed a judgment says this party owes me money. 
No, nothing. Well, it, it, give me some examples. That's what the person on the text line said. I, I'd be curious to know if you got some examples of that, and have you talked to people that have said, yeah, I've watched my credit score go down, and I, I don't see any reason for it on my report, that uh, any things that are among the list that I just uh, discussed. I'd be curious to know about that. They should talk to the credit bureau and say, look, why is my credit score down? Because they have, a, have the obligation to talk to you about that. You can dispute it. But I think you probably find that there's been some late payments, delinquency, uh, debts increased, could have be closed accounts by the third party. I mean, there's a number of things that could cause your score to go down. Of course, a lien, a judgment, collection on your report, those are big time. Increasing your debt relative to your, your uh, debt facilities. We're coming right back with Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, we appreciate you joining us today. So inflation did moderate today based on the the uh, the PCE. That's the measurement that the Fed pays the most attention to. That's kind of their the personal consumption expenditures, what that stands for. It's kind of their preferred measurement, and that's why the markets are on fire. And also, I just noticed the Treasury yields they're falling, which is typically what happens as a result of the the rather positive inflation report. But joining us now is Caleb Sailors. He's a multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News. All right, Caleb. Uh, I was enjoying Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder much more than our little Chiron. Uh, by the way, excellent song choice, Rhino. That's a good one. One of the classics. I love Stevie Wonder. Uh-huh. So, Caleb, you were uh, present at the Neshoba County Fair among uh, those of us uh, with the Super Top Mississippi team. I about to say, you would know. You got to see a lot of me these past <laughs> few days. Probably the most you've seen me That's ever. Right. All right. So what, what, uh, what stood out to you? I mean, I don't know. We've got really heated races for auditors. No. Obviously, the lieutenant governor's <laughs> races and the governor's races were, or the race were um, the most heated amongst all of them. And... What really stood out to me more so than anything, I'll first start with the lieutenant governor's election. Okay. Uh, I was not expecting Delbert Hoseman to come out, not like fighting back, but like fighting, going on the attack against Chris McDaniel. I did not expect to see that at all. And that stood out to me how he wasn't counterpunching. He was punching yeah. Senator McDaniel, attacking the senator's record in the chamber and attacking him at, in a leadership position, and then going on to cite voting records saying that Senator McDaniel, who's championed himself as the conservative, as the consistent conservative candidate, well, he may or may not have supported uh, Ronnie Musgrove in 2003. And so... I was um, not expecting to see that from Hoseman. Of course, McDaniel did his thing. Delbert, the Democrat, called, you know, accused Delbert of pandering and catering to more moderate or more 
quote unquote liberal members of Mississippi. But I expected there to be some mudslinging there. I just didn't anticipate the lieutenant governor to come out the way he did. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, but I will say that in the interview mm-hmm. with Senator McDaniel on middays, he he really did not uh, condemn the lieutenant governor. He didn't sling any mud at him. I didn't hear any any of that sort of uh, accusatory rhetor- mm-hmm. rhetoric. And so I and I appreciate that he he stuck to the issues and he and he spoke more generically. He said, you know, we've got to stand in the gap. That's that's a, a typical refrain mm-hmm. he uses, and that we we are Republicans and we got to act like and govern as Republicans mm-hmm. is what he said. So we had a chance to to get into the issues uh, and and stay away from the attacks, you know. And mm-hmm. and the same with the lieutenant governor. He didn't do that either. But you're right in his speech, maybe the first time. Uh, arguably, since the the race has been on, that uh, he's kind of come out and and made some, uh, some some sort of verbal assaults on on Senator McDaniel. Well, and if you go back and look at our reporting on it at SuperTalk.fm, uh, I was basically alluded to the Lieutenant Governor strapped on the boxing gloves and prepared for a match. I mean, he didn't pull any punches, and but it was good though that they they had their speeches at the stump and then got to talk to you afterwards. And, yeah. You know, because the speech is you're going to try to get the crowd going. You're, sure. You're, but when they come and talk to you, you can actually get into the policies. Yeah. And so it was nice to have that balance there. And, of course, I would go listen to them talking on your show as well and try to ask some questions myself afterward. But you're right. It was good to hear them actually go into policy matters and hear their discrepancies on tax policy. You know, um, Chris McDaniel has accused the lieutenant governor of, of – standing against or standing in the way of tax cuts, whether it be the income tax or the grocery tax. And then the lieutenant governor accused the senator of being a hypocrite, saying, well, he's opposed all local and private taxes that we've produced or proposed in the Senate. And so you've got both of them going at each other that way. And it was it was good to see both of them, you know, elaborating on their policies, elaborating on their platforms on your show, but it was also, I don't know, it was just interesting to see the lieutenant governor fighting the way he did. I just, you haven't seen that this entire, he had a little rant on social media, but he had not really gone out publicly like that. Yeah, I think that's true. And and of course, you know, these candidates and their social media, not really sure, honestly, Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, even elected officials, you know that for being in the news business, often those are controlled by their surrogates or by workers on their staff, and that's fine because they can't possibly do all that. The exception may be Donald Trump, who lived on Twitter. And you can tell, yeah, that's Donald Trump. (laughs) You you see all caps and exclamation (laughs) points. Yeah, that's the former president speaking. (laughs) So... uh, I, I was just glad that when they came on the program that both of those candidates sort of stayed away uh, from attacking the other. Now, there was a little bit of an altercation, I think we ought to point out, that mm-hmm. occurred right after the lieutenant governor spoke. And if you're not familiar with the pavilion at Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair, there's a it, it is a building that I would say was rectangular shape, mm-hmm. fixed seating for the audience. Probably what twenty twenty five rows, mm-hmm. almost set up like a church. Honestly. I was going to say like an old like chapel. A church, yeah, and has a, has like a you know a foot high stage across the entire length in the front with a podium right in the middle, and that's it. That's all that's on stage, and then ply a plywood yep. wall behind it, that's and there's a single door mm-hmm. that is directly behind the podium. It's open door it's too. O- it's open. There's it's no open. there's no there's no door. Yeah, it's no. just a it's just a hole, <laughs> yeah. if you will. So there's a door frame. 
And typically what happens is to just avoid any any awkwardness, whomever speaks exits the stage mm-hmm. through the back door, and they enter the stage from the side. Mm-hmm. That's typically what, what yep. I've seen. And so when the lieutenant governor exited through the back door, a, a group of McDaniel supporters uh, yep. were there, were present, right by the door. And I, I believe that they were sort of barking at him that he should debate, mm-hmm. right? That's yes. what you saw as well. Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure we got that right. And there were and, shouts of coward, why yeah, won't you debate? Why won't you debate, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's appropriate or not. I t- totally realize that uh, challengers always want to debate the incumbent. Absolutely. Incumbents never want to debate. Mm-hmm. That's pretty typical. So we should point out that Donald Trump, has made it very clear He's not debating. inside a month to the first Republican presidential debate. He won't debate. He's not doing it. No. Says he won't do it at this point. I I suspect he holds firm to that. And I'm so. not defending the lieutenant governor. I'm no. just saying he's doing what you typically see in incumbents. Well, in his, in his election, too, what would it benefit him? And that's why debate? they don't. That's typically why incumbents don't. Now, I maintain at this point, I think we know where the candidates stand, and I think they've both done, probably the challenger's done more to distinguish his positions, if he would be elected, that being Senator Chris McDaniel, from the incumbent. The incumbent has focused, it's typical, more on their record. On his record, absolutely. Right. And, and uh, you know, the, the one grievance I'd make there is I want to see more about what are we going to do in the mm-hmm. future and uh, how would you govern in term two, Lieutenant Governor, and, and you know, where do you stand on the issues? And so I, I did go uh, through those with the senator, so we know, and well, I'm not sure a debate with, would make any difference. You heard plenty from McDaniel saying explicitly he would not be willing to work across the aisle. He did. As, no compromise. He, no. No. And that, that's look. That's he's been he's been steadfast in mm-hmm. that absolutely uh, in, in that philosophy since he ran for U.S. Senate mm-hmm. 2014. No compromise. We compromise too much. Uh, you know, I I understand that. I don't know that we really are uh, compromising a lot. I I I think that to, to those who maybe uh, go a little bit on the moderate uh, approach, I think that's just what they believe is the best policy. Absolutely, and more so than it is. Yeah, we just got to give in to the Democrats. I don't see that. <laughs> but you know, I I can see situations where there may be a give and take where. You may have to give up a little bit to get something that's really, really big and important. I, for example, on a federal basis, I might be willing to grant amnesty or some some token, some small student loan forgiveness if we can make the Trump tax cuts permanent, as an example. Completely understood. Because they won't compromise on that, and we won't <laughs> compromise on the other. Okay, so Someone's got to compromise somewhere. So what's going to happen is the tax cuts are going to expire. What's going to happen? And the lieutenant, the lieutenant governor defended his position. That the attack on him was that he's given too many positions in leadership to Democrats. And well, he kind of had a mathematical approach to that, saying, "Well, give me more Republicans, and I'll put more Republicans in leadership." Um, I did ask him that, mm-hmm. um, and and honestly, I personally think that that's an issue that's overblown. I know it's easy to make that look like, well, this is in an effort. To to uh, compromise, to reach across the aisle, to to maybe um, promote Democrat policy. I don't honestly think that's the case, and I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me, okay, what bills that would be good laws yeah. for Mississippi failed 
to get to the governor's desk simply because we had Democrat chairman of those committees. Well, they uh, found the common bills. ground. They, they both said they'd be willing to eliminate some of these committees. So I did ask them both They that. both said yeah. they would be willing to cut which, some committees. Which is what we need to do. You can hang around and talk some <laughs> Absolutely. more. Absolutely. we got Caleb Saylor's multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Podcasts. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, you get closer. The lights are golden. The sound of the breathing. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays in the Alamut Well Studios. We're visiting with Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. So we talked some about, of course, the lieutenant governor's race. So what did you see with respect to the attorney general's race? The attorney general's race surprisingly got a little bit heated on one side. Uh, Greta Kent Martin, who's running on the Democratic ticket for attorney general, really came out swinging in her speech uh, attacking the current attorney general, Lynn Fitch, basically accusing her of being an, an empty suit, of not really being there to respond to Mississippi. And she um, criticized the attorney general for kind of taking a step aside in the state's largest public welfare scandal. Uh, she called out the attorney general for not responding to calls from our secretary of state, Michael Watson, regarding Tidelands leasing laws. And um, she also this was the really big one to me. And I, I talked to Miss Martin after she interviewed with you to kind of get her to elaborate on a point she made. She accused the attorney general of like falsifying press releases that she's been sending out regarding human trafficking hmm. numbers, saying that the attorney general's office is taking credit for work that they didn't do. And she even said, like, a simple Google search will tell you that these numbers don't match up with arrest records, with uh, police reports, et cetera. Hmm. That's interesting. I, you know, I, uh, I wonder if that's going to have any effect in the election. I mean, that's a pretty serious allegation. Very damning allegation. Rec- records there. I just wonder if that if that'll fly. And I, and I asked Greta Kemp Martin about it, too. I mean, she it looked me in the eye and explicitly told me, yes, you have been given – the media, everybody has been given bad information. And yeah. they have been given things that are not true, and, and the office is, the attorney general's office is taking credit for work that they haven't done. Like that – she explicitly told me all of those things. Hmm. And so – but the attorney general really didn't respond to any of those claims and didn't really acknowledge her opponent's existence at all at the podium or even when she interviewed with you – she talked, she touted some of her achievements as attorney general. Obviously, Roe versus Wade being overturned was one of the big ones. And then talked about the cybersecurity, you know, trying to end robocalls in Mississippi hmm. and those things. But she did not acknowledge any of those attacks. And so I reached out to the office and I'm eager to hear a response for them, from them regarding the human trafficking numbers hmm. as well. Interesting. All right. What about uh, what about the governor's race? Obviously, that is in focus as well, and then more so with the upcoming. Uh, we got the primary course. We got two Republicans uh, that are running against uh, Governor Tate Reeves yes. on that side. We had both of them on the show mm-hmm. yesterday, uh, David Hardigree and Dr. John Witcher. 
And then, of course, we got the general election coming up. One of those, including Governor Tate Reeves, also on the ballot as mm-hmm. a Republican, will advance to the general election. Anything come out of uh, the interviews we had with Dr. Witcher or Mr. Hardegree? So David Hardegree's speech, he was kind of enraptured in the moment. He was just – he talked to me afterwards for a little while and was just enamored with – or he was just – caught up in like, wow, this is really awesome. I got to give a speech at the same place Ronald Reagan once gave a speech in the 1980s, and he was just really grateful to be there. And he talked about hospitals and healthcare in Mississippi, wants to kind of solve the hospital crisis we have at hand. Didn't go super deep into policy, but he was just grateful to be there. Dr. John Witcher took a little turn, and he got the crowd a little riled up a couple of times. Uh, he held up a Bible and vowed that he would put a Bible in every single school in Mississippi. He had and, it on the set when he came yeah, on the show. And he held it up and yeah. gave him a speech, and then he put on a red Make America Great Again hat. Was the first <laughs> endorsement of a pres- presidential candidate for the upcoming election. Next year, yeah. and he endorsed Donald J. Trump for president in 2024. The first one to do it, and said that that's who he's going to support. And as and if he was as he's elected governor of Mississippi, he would govern similarly to how Trump governs and everything. But then you got to the uh, candidates that are, ex- I mean, Brandon Presley's running unopposed on the Democratic side, and Politico's everybody's expecting Governor Tate Reeves to advance past his primary opponents to November, but. You had Brandon Presley take the stage and come out swinging, I mean, attacking the governor for corruption, accusing him of his of being involved in the welfare scandal, accusing the governor of catering to societal elites, you know, only giving special treatment and special interests to those who donate large you know, sums to his campaign and just not being there for the little man or the common Mississippian. And then he accused the governor of ignoring the hospital crisis in Mississippi. Well, the governor came back and he swung back at Presley during his speech, accused Presley of taking money from ex-cons and from having a lot of special interests from other states, (laughs) taking money from California and New York, and then talked about how Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and Stacey Abram, who was a governor candidate in Georgia, how they've had vested interests in Presley's campaign, and they don't reflect the values of Mississippi and how Tate Reeves stands on the values, the pro-life values of Mississippi, the conservative values of Mississippi. Meanwhile, he labeled Presley as more of a liberal Democrat who didn't reflect the values of the state. So there was a lot of mudslinging at one another there, a lot of character uh, attacks on one another. But they did get into policy, though. Reeves touted his... well. Presley really didn't get into policy as much. He just said he would expand Medicaid and try to solve the hospital crisis. That was really the only policy he elaborated on. He didn't, and he wanted to eliminate the uh, grocery tax and income tax. But other than that, he didn't expound upon policy much. But Reeves touted his record, you know, the lowest unemployment rate in state history, the uh, tax cuts, the largest teacher pay raise. He kind of countered Presley's attacks of him not being there for the common man was saying, well, I've given teachers the highest pay raise they've ever seen in the state. We've improved, you know, fourth grade math and reading scores. That's helped common Mississippians. We've brought in a lot of jobs in the state. That's helped blue collar workers. And so they both had responses for the other, and they both had uh, press conferences too after their respective speeches. And they both kind of expounded upon like attacks the others had against each other. But the one of the things that stu- stood out to me during the speeches 
themselves, though, was the supporters getting kind of rowdy. During Presley's speech, his supporters were loud. He brought, I mean, there are a good number of Brandon Presley supporters there holding up their later tater signs, and <laughs> which, was, which was kind of funny, and screaming, and, you know, they, he was getting the crowd riled up. Then you, they started chanting, Brandon, Brandon. Well, then Tate Reeves' people started yelling, Tate, 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 and they kind of drowned out. They were the, pretty close to each other, too, weren't they? Well... <laughs> They were, were after the speech, yes. behind the pavilion. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Right so by the signs, I mean, they're two feet apart. Well, and the supporters were really close to each other, too. That's and what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, even during the speeches, you know, everybody sits in the same area. Yeah. And you kind of had on the left, if you're facing the podium on the right-hand side, were where the Presley supporters were, then kind of the middle and left-hand side were all the Reeves supporters. There were, there were definitely more Tate Reeves supporters in attendance than Brandon Presley supporters, but they got into a couple of screaming matches. At one point, Governor Reeves pointed out a Presley supporter in the crowd and started talking to him, was like, do you have a problem with Mississippi values? Do you have a problem with the achievements we've made in this state? And he's like, see, this, this is just reflective of the Presley campaign. His supporters don't love us or our values. I mean... You usually don't see candidates getting the crowd involved or members of the audience involved in the speech, but the governor did at one point. It's unusual. I want to say the lieutenant governor engaged some folks in the crowd as well. Well, the people that were yelling at him. Well, someone (laughs) someone asked him if his family were Democrats as well, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, let me hear it, let me hear it." (laughs) But that was about the extent of it. But it was interesting to see the the crowd. I mean. Points in both of their speeches, talking about Presley and Reeves, they both had to stop and take pauses to let the crowds scream. Wow. Like, yeah. noticeable pauses, too. It wasn't just like two or three seconds. They were like 10 to 15 to 20 second pauses just to let the crowds, you know, kind of hash out their differences with one another. But then it, it kind of calmed down from there and they gave their speeches, held their press availabilities, and then went on from there. Yeah. So speaking of crowds, you know, we had uh, Henry Barber, mm-hmm. our friend on, Absolutely. who certainly knows as much about the political landscape in Mississippi and the country, maybe as anybody in the state of Mississippi. He literally ran to come on the show. He, he did, and we <laughs> certainly appreciate that, because we, we had a last-minute uh, cancellation, mm-hmm. and he was good enough to come uh, visit with us on the program. Mm-hmm. But he made, he made the observation that the crowds were smaller than it, it typical for... Uh, an election year, and how that might affect the candidates. Did you hear him talk about that? He mentioned that more specifically for the lieutenant governor's right, race, and he right. said that voted better for Senator McDaniel. He sure did. And I and I did notice that uh, yesterday during the governor's speech. I mean, every seat in the House was occupied. Usually, you see people crowds yeah, around gathering it. around, and there were standing some, room. There were some, but not as much as you would expect or anticipate in a. Superheated gubernatorial race. Yeah, and I, so he made that observation, which I thought was interesting. I, I still thought there were a lot of people there. I thought it was pretty crowded. It, it was. So the question is, what's the get out the vote effort look like from these two campaigns? Again, I'm referring to the lieutenant governor's race because I think we have to say in the primary, it's the marquee race. So, I mean, obviously McDaniel's um, campaign is get out to vote to protect Republican values, to protect our core principles. And the lieutenant governor's campaign is basically saying, hey, we, we have a good track record with Mississippi. We've gotten a lot done. Come out and vote for us for continued success. And then Reeves and Presley, the governor's, his is let's protect Mississippi values, pro-life values. And Presley's is let's save our hospitals. The governor's not doing anything to help hospitals. Yeah. And then... 
that's that's pretty much their messaging. Secretary of State Michael Watson has his Get Out to Vote initiative, and he's encouraging people, saying that they're safe elections. They've tried to end ballot harvesting, which that's in litigation now. But he's he's guaranteed that the election, election machines, the uh, electronic ones, aren't able to be compromised, and they've got a paper trail to verify that every vote counted the way it's supposed to. Right. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Thanks for coming on, Caleb. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you for having me. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. In the Element Well Studio, we appreciate you uh, joining us today. So, Dwight asked a question. We were talking about what appeared to be folks from out of the state of Mississippi, outside the state of Mississippi, sporting Brandon Presley shirts and carrying his signs. And we observed that, again, that they were not Mississippians. Dwight says, did Tate tell you they weren't from Mississippi? No, it was the several pictures of several vehicles with out-of-state tags, sporting later Tater bumper stickers, and Brandon Presley signs on top. Not the first time this has happened in Mississippi either, no. right? You get these out-of-state folks that come in here on the Democrat side, and uh, certainly in, in national office elections, congressional Senate elections, you've seen that a lot. I don't know that I've seen it so much in and uh, state races, but no doubt. Uh, interesting, though. Let's see. Somebody chimed in here on the credit. We were having a discussion about credit scores, credit reports. My friend Sharon and Brandon says, you know, the bureaus offer free monitoring of, of credit reports. I get a report each month. That You're absolutely right. They do. I actually, in addition to that, have a paid subscription to my FICO, it's like twenty five bucks a year, fifty bucks a year, something like that. I mean, there's several services that there do are. that for free. I mean, you've got what Credit Karma and Experian and places like that that'll give you all the bureaus' information on you. Experian actually is one of the bureaus. Uh, oh yeah, one, yeah, one of the three. But you're right, there are, and it, I think by law they have to provide free credit reports. I just like the my FICO because I like the FICO scoring. Uh, algorithm because that's what most lenders use. So it's a little different than just getting the report itself. The FICO, you're going to get a FICO score. And anytime there's anything that, uh, any sort of activity on your credit report, boom, they shoot you something to let Which, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, the FICO score is pretty much the first layer of your credit that. Somebody's going to look at if you're trying to get something. FICO score is what virtually all these lenders use. Uh, chattel mortgages and home mortgages, et cetera. Uh, lines of credit. It's Fair Isaac Corporation. It's it's a different algorithm than 
Uh, some of the others use. That's the, the most relied upon scoring methodology. That's why I subscribe to that. I do not know or think that you could get a free service, a free service that would provide FICO score. I'm not sure, but I don't. I, I think that's why years ago I subscribed to, to FICO directly. I could be wrong. I want to say Credit Karma allows you to see your FICO score for okay. free. All right. Well, that's that's good if they do. My guess is my. And I'm sure they're selling your data if you're getting oh, yeah. it for free. But that's yeah. right. But the, the my FICO is a paid subscription, and it's it's pretty good. Um, somebody else said that yeah, if you pay off a loan, your score it will actually go down. And and I said that's not true. Sent me something from Equifax that says yeah, it could happen, and it is true that. Uh, okay, so let me explain this. It is true that if you pay off certain debt and you no longer have any debt outstanding in that category of debt, then your mix of credit changes, and that is considered a negative. And what I mean by mix of credit it's really three broad categories. There's mortgage debt, and then uh, there's uh, revolving credit. That'd be like a credit card, typical Visa, MasterCard-type credit card. And then there's installment credit. That would be like you borrow money to buy a vehicle. So the highest scores are going to go to the people who have a mix of that kind of credit. I mean, the crazy thing is that people have problems with is that you can't get a high credit score if you never have any credit because there's nothing to score. So And it doesn't reward what we would consider responsibility. So say you have a credit card that you use for filling up your car, and you pay it off every month the second you get your statement, and it sits there with a zero balance the majority of the time, that doesn't help your credit score at all. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um if if you don't, it, it, so a lot of people, what they do is they max it out. I max out my credit card, but then I pay it off. And the problem is they don't do that till they get their statement. And once they've got their statement, it's already been re- reported to the Bureau, and it's been reported when you maxed it out. And that reflects negatively. That causes your score to decrease because it says, wow, this person's maxed out on their credit card. They're in trouble. Well, yeah, I paid it off the two days after I got the report. The Bureau doesn't know that. So my advice to you, and I'm not a professional credit counselor, but my advice to you is pay those things down before you get the statement so that reflects in the in the um, calculation. We're taking a break for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming right back with an hour of middays. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Midday Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday, y'all. A rather light day of guests on this Friday, having uh, interviewed 22 by my count over Wednesday and Thursday at the Neshoba County Fair. But that's why we're there. So the good people who tune into the program can hear from those candidates what they have to say. Hard to believe we're inside of two weeks, two weeks to Election Day across the great state of Mississippi. And I'm sure folks will gather around their television sets and be tuning in to the various broadcasts and attending watch parties as well for some of the candidates that they've supported, and they'll be anxiously awaiting the results. We talked to Secretary of State Michael Watson about readiness across the state for Election Day. He says we're in good shape there. That's good to hear, and I had no doubt we would be. But we're going to those polls to cast our ballots, get out and vote, folks. By the way, don't forget to get connected to the Super Talk News letter, Super Talk News Department newsletter. Where can you get that, uh, Rhino? Supertalk.fm? I think you can sign up. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You need to do that to keep up with all the news, just as you heard Caleb coming in here. and Yeah, the direct link is supertalk.fm forward slash newsletter. Yeah. I highly recommend it. You want to stay in touch with everything going on there leading up to Election Day. I got a feeling we might see some more fireworks. I don't know why. I just do. You think so? Any bombshells we may see, though? So-called bombshells. Mm. It's a coin toss at this point. I think that's right. I mean, there's always the chance something crazy happens, but then there's always the chance that we've seen all we're going to see, and it's just going to coach to the end. Yeah. I think that's right. Absolutely. On the ceasefire text line, talking about credit scoring, if you pay off and close a line of credit, that reduces your availability of funds and hurts your score. Yeah, if you if you close it, by the way, that has less of a negative impact than if the lender closes it. That is figured into that. But if you pay off debt, uh, in full, as long as that doesn't materially affect your 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 mix of credit that we were talking about across the three broad categories, you won't see much change there. But it is true that one of the one of the big factors in computing your score is the ratio, uh, well the the available credit, but the ratio of the, your balances, particularly on revolving credit lines, revolving credit lines, your balance to the credit that's been extended to you, the availability is really what that figure is. So if you have a credit card has a, for example, a thousand dollar limit on it, and you got a seven hundred dollar balance, that's going to reflect negatively on your score. If you have a zero or a twenty dollar balance, that's going to be positive. That that means you're responsible. It's what they take from that in managing your credit. You don't seem to be in any sort of stress situation to handle your obligations. It's when that credit uh, credit card report goes to the credit bureaus, all electronic, of course, and and it shows that, hey, this person's got a $1,000 line on their credit card, but 
they got a $900 balance when we produced a statement that can that's going to negatively affect uh, your credit. That's the way that works. But yeah, it's uh, you know the Democrats have actually talked about eliminating credit scoring. They they want the federal government to do that. And they really don't want any credit scoring because they say it it disproportionately affects disadvantaged people. They have lower credit scoring. It it it's always the approach coming from the Democrats is always to dilute the standards. We just got to change the standards. Winning is not winning and losing is not losing. That be gone with that. We just got to change that to achieve equity. And we, we see that across the board in society. What I call the march to mediocrity. But uh, I think it's the state of Washington that uh, passed a law that bars insurers, those in the state that sell insurance, consumer lines of insurance, personal lines, they are not allowed to consider credit reports and credit scores in pricing premiums or even accepting someone as an insured. Can't use their credit scores. And insurers use that because they have found statistically that Folks with higher credit scores tend to be more responsible, and they're less risk to the insurer. That's why they use that. But the, unfortunately, that disproportionately affects so-called minorities and disadvantaged people. I guess you could say that that uh, minorities are not so-called. You could certainly question whether or not the description disadvantaged. You know, that's, that's a little subjective, in my view. But they don't like that, so we, we just got to get rid of the scoring. we got get got to get rid of those standards. The same thing we're seeing in, across society with respect to college admissions, of course, what affirmative action is all about. Well, they can't make the requisite grades on the test, and, and they don't have all the performance metrics, don't meet those standards, but they're a disadvantaged person, so come on in. You non-disadvantaged person that, in fact, met all the other qualifications, sorry, we don't have room for you. I mean, that literally is what affirmative action is all about. And uh, that's rooted in Marxism, honestly. That's, that's grouping based on some factors other than merit. So, all right, so I was looking, someone sent me, a question about, and this goes back to this issue of appointing Democrats by the lieutenant governor to serve as committee chair, and somebody sent me a question about um, when we last had a Democrat presiding over one of the chambers, Speaker of the House Billy McCoy comes to mind, before the House flipped to, de- uh, to Republican control. And Speaker Gunn succeeded McCoy. And McCoy, of course, a Democrat. The question was, did he appoint any Republicans as committee chair? And I was looking for the roster. You found it somewhere, huh, Rhino? Did you find it? It's not broken down by political party, but it's alphabetical. Okay. I have to do a little digging into it. Well, the the first thing that uh, I guess comes to mind in that regard is the House is a bit different. 
The House is a bit different. Here's why. you got 122 members in the House. Same, relatively close to the same number of committees, I think even back then, right? 40-something committees. So you could, you would have a sufficient number of members to chair in a particular party to chair a committee without appointing a chairman to a committee of the other party. The Senate's different simply because of the numbers. You got 52 senators, and you got so you got 52. Looks like there were 36 committees for the House between 2008 and 2011. Okay. So yeah, you could easily cover those with one so, party. So I suspect that in having Democrat control, I mean the way the numbers work mathematically, to have Democrat control. You'd have to have more than that as Democrats just to have a one-seat margin with 122. Right? You have to have 63 Democrats to have control. And how many committees, you say? 39? 36? 36. 36. I think it's expanded since then. I believe there are more committees now. And that's something we asked both candidates about. Caleb pointed that out, and they both said, yeah, I'm open to reducing the number of committees. And you know, that's a, nothing specific there. I don't think they've thought through that. That's fair. I don't know that anybody's ever proposed that, you know, in, in an interview. But it kind of makes sense that we could maybe create some subcommittees as opposed to full-blown committees, especially the five or six that don't get any bills. And even when they do get bills, maybe one a session, they certainly seems like they could just branch out as subcommittees underneath full-blown committees. So it's a it's not actually a valid comparison, Rhino, to my view, to compare. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's appointment of Democrats in the Senate, where you don't have enough Republicans to appoint to all the committees. 42 have chairman, 36 uh, Republicans in the chamber. The question is, could you appoint a member to multiple committees? Now, I will say, I asked that question, I posed that question of Senator McDaniel, and he said he would. He said he would not appoint any Democrats to chair those committees. Delbert, uh, the lieutenant governor, Delbert Hoseman, said, you know, they have a hard time just keeping up with one, much less multiple. So you got different views there. Coming right back. Stay with us. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. It's Friday, Friday. I'm free again. I got my motor running for a wild weekend. It's Friday, Friday. I'm out of control. Forget the work and blues and let the time roll. I got a little sugar baby down the road. She's sitting on a radiant and rocking on gold. But that's up a storm. What are the current polling numbers for the governor's race, asks Fred. We haven't seen any. I mean, we don't uh, have access to any of those, Fred. So I don't know. Typically, uh, you know, somebody's paying for that. And I'm not aware that any third parties uh, have run polls that they've, they've published of late. I've seen like a Chisholm poll. You remember, Rhino, they do a lot of polling in Mississippi. Kind of left-leaning, I would say. Uh, I haven't seen any polls from Chisholm, that organization, in a while. 
Um, and and I suspect the candidates' campaign mechanisms, their apparatus are running internal polls, and that's just what they are. They're internal. They're keeping them to themselves and not uh, publicizing that. I, I certainly hadn't seen any. If anybody has, let me know and, and send us a link. Well, let's see. What does this mean? Broom, the person asking how you knew out-of-state people at the fair must have never been there. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and I did say that I, I just heard it from a couple of people. It was anecdotal. I didn't have any any uh, any personal evidence of it, but Rhino, I guess you saw some photos, right? Uh, vehicles without. Oh yeah, there were place. several going across social media. Okay, well that's that's certainly more adds more credibility to that particular statement and that assertion. Totally agree. Is the low unemployment rate in Mississippi more of a byproduct of Tate or Biden or Biden? I note that this individual always spells Tate's name in lowercase. Is there a purpose to that? Was it just an oversight, typo? It's a low rate nationwide. Um, You know, I'm not sure exactly what the purpose of the question is. But Unless they're admitting people are having to enter the workforce because Bidenomics inflation is killing us. So true, and I would say... In that case, you could give Biden credit. The the reality is, when you're running for governor, and and you're a governor that focuses a great deal on the economy, the state's economy, the economic growth, that certainly touting positive economic data under your watch is expected. But you start talking about ascribing credit uh, to uh, the unemployment figure in a particular state, sure, I admit that national political policy, the the national economic environment has a lot to do with that. But I would also indicate that Mississippi has struggled with unemployment historically, and that I believe that this governor and this government's policies have addressed that and have produced positive results on the unemployment front. So I'm not sure what the point is there. If you want to try to ascribe that to Biden, okay, then uh, I I could counter with all we get out of Biden and the Democrats, and man, especially Robert Reich and Elizabeth Warren, they blame inflation not on the outrageous spending and anti-economic growth policies we've seen since Biden has been in office. No, rather, they blame it on greedy corporations. They're just charging too much. Prices up. So it's it's another indication that they simply do not understand market economies and the role of government in those. Oh, they understand it. They understand that they want more government inserted into the economy with them in charge. Calling the shots. They want to be the CEO of every company in America. What what did the crazy uh, imprinted message say on the back of the 
later tater signs that Presley people were running around with. Abolish the wage system. Abolish the state. All power to the workers. Right. So, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Those are tenets of socialism that lead to communism. That's central planning on steroids. Limit wages. We, the government, all-powerful, almighty, we will dictate your pay. We're going to tell you who you're going to work for. We're going to tell them who they're going to hire. We're going to tell them how much they're going to pay you. That's what abolish wages means. Is that what the statement, abolish or eliminate wages? What's the statement there? Abolish the wage system. Okay. That's what that means, folks, in case you didn't know. You know what else that means? Your qualifications, your value contributions to society, irrelevant. We're going to tell you what you're going to make. That's a path to economic catastrophe. That's what that is. But they know better, as they do on everything. Your car, your water heater, your stove, your pizza oven, your dishwasher, your light bulbs. They know better. It's just unbelievable. So It's because they're convinced under a socialist or communist regime, they'd be able to do whatever they want and still make as much money as they need. I can just, I can knit sweaters for cats and have a salary of $50,000 under socialism because we'd be taking it from those rich, greedy corporations. <laughs> it's just crazy. But I, I've seen it as recent as this week, them taking to social media to say, the root cause of inflation is corporate greed. They're charging too much. They're making a profit. They've got to give that all up. No profit. Man, oh man. So many companies in this country that uh, took up this mantle of stakeholder capitalism. No better example of that than Anheuser-Busch who decided that they got to do more than just focus on making cold beer. That's what they do, you know. They just make cold beer. Just make cold beer and leave everything else alone. So I heard this morning from an ex-Anheuser-Busch executive that they would produce two annual reports. So this isn't anything new. This has been brewing for a while in the corporate offices of A.B., Anheuser-Busch. They would produce two annual reports. Typically, it's just one. One would be for the financial community, for financial community investor consumption. Hey, look at us. We're all about making profit. We make beer. We're good at it. We deliver a good consumer experience. We have high brand awareness. We're blowing and going. We're making a profit. Then they would have another one. He said it was 145 pages on ESG and DEI. You just make beer. He said he left because of that, by the way. I I just heard this this morning. So you see the conflict there, though? And that's taking them down. Now they're letting corporate-level people go. They're letting ranks go. And it's all because people said, enough, man. Just make beer. I'm sorry to report, honestly, that their transgender spokesperson, really a performer, Dylan Mulvaney, We've talked before about how the universities and colleges in this country are absolutely the heart 
the ground zero for this cultural revolution, this war being waged by the left on just mainstream culture. Okay, Mulvaney, the transgender Anheuser-Busch spokesperson, has announced a college speaking tour in this upcoming academic year. Forty grand. Forty grand a speech. A few months ago delivered just a impromptu ad hoc speech at the University of Pittsburgh for twenty six thousand bucks. Only because they butchered their body. That's the only re- this person's a nobody if they had they not butchered their body, castrated themselves, submitted to that nonsense. That is crazy. So I guess you could say the go broke, go woke, go broke quip doesn't apply here because this is as woke as you can get, and this person's going to get rich off of it. Now, I, as far as I'm concerned, free market, they're willing to pay that price, and he is willing to perform to receive that payment. All about it. What I think. But in a different perspective, though, that is probably half of tuition for one person to pay for one speech for one night. That is true. That's true. But they can't do anything about how much it costs to go to college? Oh, my gosh. That hurt me, though. I got to tell you. By the way, at the University of Texas in Austin, one of the most woke liberal universities in the country, they're now holding. They're now teaching students how to check something, and it's not their white privilege. I'll tell you about it on the other side of the break. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. Half an hour left here on Middays on this. Friday, y'all. A hot one out there, too, man. Telling you. So the market uh, has retreated off its highs of the session a bit. The Dow now up 119. The NASDAQ was really on fire. I'm waiting for that to come up. But it was, what did I say, 270, I think, is where it stood when we last reported. It's 227. So it's retreated a bit. I don't know why I thought of Seinfeld when you said that, and I just thought of the market standing there going, I was in the pool! (laughs) So uh, we were talking about the PERS system in the state of Mississippi earlier today. We've discussed that on the program a fair amount. I, I call attention to that because it is real. It is a real problem, and it is not going to correct itself magically. And once again, I... Um, and I don't mean to call out Dr. Witcher, who was on the program. You know, we talked to him. We asked him the question about PERS and 
its uh, its challenges, its its financial concerns. And when he was in the studio a couple of weeks ago, and he um, it's not something he's thought a lot about, and that's fine. Because, honestly, I'm not being critical of that because most of them have it. It's not a fun thing to discuss. the 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 red meat rhetoric is just more fun. You know, it's abortion and it's guns and it's I love mom and, and uh, apple pie in America and all that sort of stuff. Um, it just You just get more of that, those 50,000-foot platitudes. I'm for smaller government, less spending, and lower taxes. Okay, well, what specifically, though, do you want to cut? Well, I just think we got to cut. <laughs> and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, of course. Having fun with that, generalizing. But we asked about PERS, and and what he said both times was that, wow, you know, the fund lost $8 billion. And that's simply not true. In 22, which was a down year for the markets, considerably, one of the worst, the fund did retreat by $4 billion. But if you look at prior years, it enjoyed significant positive returns. And you got to look, it's a long game. You you can't look at it as like the the day traders, you know the meme stock guys. I'm getting in while it's running up, and I'm gonna dump it. And a lot of people did well. A lot of people lost everything as well. The crypto trading, you've seen that, Rhino. A lot of people made a fortune, cashed out, timed it perfectly, and did well. And that's honestly, some may tell you, oh yeah, that's exactly how I planned it. I say horse hockey on that. It's, it was mostly luck. And that, that's, you know, the way the markets work. But the point I'm making here is that they're, they're, they're traders and then they're long game investors. Well, PERS is a long game. And so you have to look at an extended period of time, not a single year or a single quarter. you got to look at an extended period of time. And the fact is, the the fund, the program, has produced an 8%-plus return. This is in a $30 billion fund over a 10-year period. Average is 8%. That's actually quite well. It's pretty good. And, of course, there are people out there that would say, oh, I could do better than that. And I say, no, you couldn't. These, these are professional fund managers that allocate that capital, and it's a little different when you're managing a fund such as PERS that covers the benefits that are prescribed by law. That's a little different situation where, oh, it's just up and down, and that's okay, it'll come back sort of deal. This is all about having sufficient assets available to pay benefits now and for an extended period of time, like forever, as long as the good Lord lets us uh, on the, stay on the planet. So, as we've said so many times, you can, either, you can either raise money going in in the form of the employer and employee contribution rate, you can pay less out, or a combination of the two. Well... Thomas says uh, Thomas says that um, what we should do is just increase the rate on employees, state employees. Well, okay, 
Thomas, are you prepared to tell every state employees, I'm sorry, your pay's going down? Because that's what happens. You're not Because if you said, well, you're going to get a pay raise to cover the increase in the contribution rate, well, then you're increasing government spending because the taxpayers pay the salaries. So that is not a very popular option. I'm not saying it's not a viable option. It's just not a popular option. Who knows? We may see attrition, resignations, and really struggle to bring people into the public sector workforce. Now, some people may say, well, that's fine. We don't need all those people. Okay. What people don't we need? And I I know that opens up a can of worms there, but it's, it's just pointing out that it's a complex problem. It's a difficult problem. And so, Thomas, you have a perfect credit score. Do you know that? He just told us he has an 860 credit score. Yours is perfect, but you also told me you only have one <laughs> one category of credit, a mortgage. I ain't buying that. Got to tell you, not buying that. There's a flaw in, in the model that computed your score. Um, nonetheless, uh, and in reducing... Benefits is not a viable option. You, are you prepared to go to the workforce today and say, I'm sorry, your benefits got to go down? Now, a viable option would be to say everybody within a certain number of years of, of being eligible for retirement, you're protected. Everything is just the way it is. Everything that's outside of that time period leading up to retirement there would be some changes. That would be difficult. And you probably would see people leave, because you know as well as I do, there are a lot of people that work for the public sector in Mississippi because of those benefits. That's always been their carrot. Because they don't typically pay equivalent to similar private sector occupations, but they, they offer attractive benefits that typically exceed the private sector. And one of those is the pension, the defined contribution, uh, pardon me, benefit plan. You have a hard time finding any private companies that have defined benefit plans. Now, what you could do is you could say, okay, everybody that comes into a plan as of a certain date uh, becomes a state employee or a public sector employee because it applies to municipalities and county employees as well. They're all in PERS. You're in this new program. It's a defined contribution plan. Works like a 401k. We're going to contribute to it. It's the public sector, and you're going to contribute to it, just like your typical private sector 401k plan. But when you do that, as soon as you do that, that means all the money they would have paid to cover benefits, because that's the way defined benefit plans work. The state no longer has access to that. It's no longer going to PERS. And it doesn't have enough in its bank account to pay everybody that remains in PERS, even though you just converted it as of a certain day. So how do you correct that? You'd have to write a big check is the way it would work. Not necessarily all at once, but over a period of time from the general fund, meaning the taxpayers would have to hit the hip and send a bunch of money to the PERS fund to cover future benefits until they're all paid out. And what I mean by that is there's no more liability. And what that means is everybody's passed away that's in the current program. They have retired, taken their benefits, and then they ultimately 
are no longer with us and that and we don't pay the benefits. That's that is an option. That's what most of the private companies did twenty or so years ago when they were all trying to get rid of their outstanding legacy defined benefit plans. They just wrote big checks, billions upon billions of dollars. And you remember what happened is it would show as huge losses for them, you know, in a year. And the market would hammer them, just pound them. But it was short-term. It was just a one big short-term, hit the hip, endure the pain, get this thing uh, out, out of our hairs being a, a, an albatross liability, uh, a noose around our neck using figures of speech metaphors. That's how they did it. Okay, you could do that as well. So who gets hurt? Stockholders. But in, the, in a state pension fund, who's responsible for that? Or taxpayers. So, so when you talk about eliminating the income tax, as an example, at the same time you got this huge wrecking ball hanging over your head that's got purrs written on it. Says, "Hey guys, you're cutting revenue, and you need more to stabilize purrs because you're on the hook to pay all those people." You see the complexity here. That's all I'm trying to point out is how this is a a controversial and complex issue. We're coming right back. Final segment. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Jeff and Hattiesburg pensions in the private sector have gone by the wayside for the most part. It needs to be phased out in the public sector as well. Not sustainable, right? Defined benefit plans, right? They have been. That's what we were just talking about. And but the way Jeff that they phased them out was they had to write a big old check to cover all future obligations. For those in the program, they didn't just say, hey, guys, sorry, you know that uh, when you came to work here, we sold you on this idea of having a pension, a defined benefit plan pension, which would pay you for life. Sorry, we're converting. No, they can't do that. All the people already in it stayed in it, and they're still going to get paid in accordance with their obligations. The problem is those plans didn't have enough money in them to meet those future obligations, and they had to write a check. That's what I was saying earlier. Huge write-up. I just saw, by the way, AT&T, who Thomas works for, they just had to throw another $8.1 billion at it to keep it going. And that's what I'm saying. So, okay, you want to do that to PERS? Right. That is a way to fix it. As of today, everybody coming in the program you're no longer eligible for. We don't have a private uh, or or a public 
uh, defined benefit program. You're now in a defined contribution plan uh, program. Works like typical private sector 401k. You retire, whatever's in there. That's how much money you got. You spend it all. You're done. It's not for life. Not guaranteed for life. So we could certainly do that, and that is a potential solution to PERS. But actuaries and financial analysts that deal with pension funds would have to tell the state, here's how much you got to come up with to fund this future obligation. And I can assure you it would be billions. That's where we are. Now, alternatively, like we just said a minute ago, you could go to the entire state public sector workforce and say, I'm sorry, you got to start paying more to keep this thing going. Well, are you giving me a raise to cover that? No. Already they just got hit, you may be aware, that of insurance went up. The state's group health plan. It's self-funded. It's administered by Blue Cross. It just went up. Premiums went up. Did they get a raise to cover that? Only the teachers. You've seen lots of outcry from state employees who are not teachers. They haven't. They didn't get a raise. They haven't saying, gotten one in a long time. Right. And they're saying, hey, you uh, you just gave one to the teachers. What about us? Which that's in the same vein of the other argument regarding PERS is the 13th check, which that's the the colloquialism for the cost of living increase that's calculated with PERS, where you get a monthly check and then you get a 13th check that covers the, the increase in the cost of living. And a lot of people that live for 20, 30 years after retirement, that 13th check can get pretty high. But you have to remember, their monthly check does not increase whatsoever from the day they retire. Yeah, so you got people that are that are uh, old, that retired a long time ago, and they may have literally three or $4,000 annual pensions. Right, but just based on the time period that they retired, and 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 just uh, you know before you you factor in all the inflation, the value of the dollar since then, literally have been retired forty years, for example. So the thirteenth check, the purpose of it was to compensate for inflation because you got a fixed benefit when you retire, say in nineteen seventy. But that doesn't really keep up with the cost of living because of inflation since then. That was really the purpose of the 13th check. It's it's the it's PERS's um, version of a cost of living adjustment, a so-called COLA adjustment that you see in Social Security. It's, that's what that is. The problem is it's got some mathematical flaws in it, oh, too, yeah. as you well know. And that, too, is pressuring PERS. And it ain't going away. And if you even talk about it, man, you will get your head chopped off. You've you've witnessed that before. John and Pontotoc says if they kick the politicians out, it would level it out. I'm I'm sorry. I wish that were the case, John, but it's not. You're talking about 180 people out of thousands, tens of thousands. That's just peanuts at the end of the day. And don't forget, they're paying in too. So that it's not like they're getting that for free. They're paying in as well. It's just a it's a flawed model. Nobody anticipated people living as long as they do. Nobody thought that we would, you know, continue to shrink the workforce and be overwhelmed with people that are retired, drawing benefits. Same problem Social Security. It's just a flawed model. I'm in PERS. I'm good with kicking <laughs> kicking in more without a raise. Well, that's, I hear you. You know, to protect your, your benefit, I, and I'm not trying to presuppose here, but I'm just guessing, speculating, you may be close to retirement. Those who had just started may say, hell, I just started here. I don't want my pay to go down. 
I'm 40 years, 25, 30 years removed from retiring. It's it's a tough one. Bottom line is everything is money. That's true. The other thing I didn't get to today is uh, Larry and Mize sent us to a poll. But, Larry, that's not an official third-party poll. That's a link people can go to to vote to show who they prefer in the lieutenant governor's race. That's really not indicative. Folks, we're out of here today. We're out of time. Please have a great weekend back in the Element Well studio on Monday until. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.